Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The focus and goal for this show is to assist humanity in the awakening of a new level of consciousness that will bring peace to planet Earth. Welcome to a breath of fresh Earth, taking the commitment to a clean environment to the next level. Your host, Rick Friedman, will crown the climate hero and villain of the week, along with discussing worldwide environmental issues, showcasing new products designed with the longevity of our planet in mind, and putting the spotlight on the individuals making a big impact in helping the climate and pollution crisis through social media. Now, your host, Rick Friedman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34. Last episode, I spoke about the soon-to-be extinction of the great Munchak and the pressure for the last remaining males to impregnate the few remaining females. The story of the northern white rhino is even more bizarre. Listen to this and tell me what you think is going on. What happens between consenting rhinos is their business. Unfortunately, this is not the sound of rhinoceroses having sex, because the only two white rhinos left on the planet are female. Of course, who's going to stop two female rhinos from having sex if they want? But I digress. Let's head to Kenya for the rest of the story. When most rhinos die, even particularly loved ones, it's not international news, but Sudan was one of the last northern white rhinos in existence. His daughter and granddaughter, Najin and Fatou, are now the last remaining individuals. Because two females can't breed, the northern white rhino could disappear within the decade. But wait, there's hope in rhino land. In recent years, scientists have explored cutting-edge reproductive technologies to create new northern white rhino embryos in the lab. This has never been attempted before, but the technique could save the species. Revitalizing animals like the northern white rhino could eventually represent a plan to save Earth's biodiversity. Not all scientists are on board with this idea. The northern white rhino project raises some tough questions about humans' role in the natural world. Northern white rhinos once lived in the grasslands of East and Central Africa, where their population ranged in the hundreds of thousands. Their numbers, reduced by hunters and poachers, fell to critical levels in the early 1980s, mostly due to demand for their horns. The last known sighting of a northern white rhino in the wild goes back to 2006. It's a different story with the closely related southern white rhinos, who also faced extinction. The subspecies number is recovered. Around 20,000 southern white rhinos exist today. And despite attempts at conservation and captive breeding, northern white rhinos' numbers steadily declined. Sudan, who was captured in the wild in 1975, would come to be the last member of his subspecies. 
Sudan had three children, though only Najin survives. Najin and her daughter Fatu are watched by armed guards around the clock. But their protection is largely a formality because the future of the species, if there is one, depends on technology. Before Sudan died, scientists took samples of his sperm and froze them. Researchers have harvested eggs from Najin and Fatu using a very delicate procedure that involves puncturing ovary follicles with a specialized machine. Any mistakes from the technician would kill the rhino. Without getting into the details, I'll tell you that a long probe enters the rhino through their rectum. I think that's enough for you to know. Labs can then use in vitro fertilization techniques to create northern white rhino embryos. Conservationists hope northern white rhino embryos created via this method can one day be implanted in the womb of a female southern white rhino, effectively bringing the species back to life. Dr. Frankenstein, you might do it after all. Scientists with the BioRescue Consortium have so far succeeded in creating nine viable embryos with sperm and eggs from northern white rhinos. Those embryos remain frozen, but eventually they're going to try to bring one to term. Other teams are taking a different approach, like the San Diego Frozen Zoo. Researchers hope to transform samples of northern white rhino skin cells back into stem cells, which they would use to grow sperm and eggs. The scientists would then use IVF to assemble rhino embryos. That sounds like Dr. Hammond from Jurassic Park. Whew. I was wondering when I'd get another chance to bring up Jurassic Park in an episode. It's been a while, and now I did. Thank you, San Diego Zoo. As multiple projects begin the lengthy process of restoring the northern white rhino to the wild, some scientists question whether it's a good idea. The prospect of undoing human damage to the environment is a tempting one, but interfering to bring a species back to life has a whole set of its own issues. For one, the project would take decades. Restoring the white rhinos would take approximately 40 years. That's four, 40 years of sustained funding and support from governments and nonprofit organizations, and that's not a given. And the various methods used to return the northern white rhino come with competing advantages and disadvantages. For example, using stored sperm and eggs to create an embryo risks what biologists call a founder effect, which occurs when a population springs from a small set of genomes. Any problems with those genomes like a genetic disease, might be passed on to the resulting population. And starting from such a small genetic pool could also produce inbred offspring. A potential solution would be to create hybrids between northern and southern white rhinos. Well, that, of course, is easier technique-wise, but it would essentially form an entirely new rhino species. We do that with dogs and nobody seems to care, but with rhinos it just seems different. And would that really count as saving the northern white rhino? Probably not. And even if scientists do succeed in growing a hybrid, the calf may pick up distinct behavioral traits from its southern white rhino mother, resulting in animals that don't necessarily behave like northern white rhinos. Using technology to bring back a species could create what's known as a moral hazard. If it becomes possible to reverse our mistakes, we might feel emboldened to make more of them and inflict further damage on the environment. Oh boy, a perfect segue to quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park when he said, scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Hey, will you ladies get a room, please? Let's take a look at eight critical problems linked to keeping our species around for a while. We're going around the world with opinions from some of our staff members you've never heard from before. To get us started, we're headed to China to speak with Zai Hu, a reporter in Beijing. Hey, what's going on with China's water supply? I hear there's a water crisis. Tell us more. 
80% of China's water reservoirs are contaminated and the rest of the world continues to over-consume and contaminate their water supplies. What's, um, what's being done to solve the problem? China has a plan to move water from the Yangtze River in the south 1,500-kilometer-long canals to the northern part of the country. The plan should be finished in 30 years. Well, thanks a lot for that report. Sounds like uh, it's going to take a long time to fix that. Next up, number two on the list, climate crisis going to raise global temperatures several degrees by the end of the century, which will result in extreme weather conditions that are going to contribute to hunger and disease. Let's welcome Zina from Morocco to talk about hunger. Zina, hello. Good day to you and welcome to the podcast. Can you sum up a really big problem with one sentence or is this going to be a a long explanation you got for us? What's going to happen to the sub-Saharan region of the world if temperatures keep rising? We won't have any food to eat and we will starve to death. Well, that's a very grim outlook. I was hoping you had something better to tell us. That scenario will force millions of people to become climate refugees and many will die attempting to find a new home. The pressure on the rest of the world will be difficult to manage. This is bad, man! Man, we're not gonna make it! Well, thanks for that thoroughly depressing report. But I think we're going to fix some of the worst-case prospects of what you're talking about. I think we can just agree to disagree. Maybe that's too easy for me to say because when I need clean water, I just go to the sink and turn on the tap. Our third issue today is ocean warming. To hear more about that, we're bringing in Ravina from India. Hi. The Indian Ocean is getting warmer at a faster rate than any other region of the tropical areas. This is very bad news because it may increase the Indian Ocean dipole. Uh, I've never heard of that. What, what is that? Let me see if I can explain it to a person like you that does not understand science as well as I. I'll try to keep it simple. The Indian Ocean Dipole refers to the difference in sea surface temperatures in opposite parts of the Indian Ocean. When an Indian Ocean Dipole event occurs, the rainfall tends to move with the warm waters, so you get more rainfall than normal over the East African countries. On the other hand, in the east of the Indian Ocean, sea surface temperatures will be colder than normal and that place will get a reduced amount of rainfall. A negative dipole phase would bring about the opposite conditions, warmer water and greater precipitation in the eastern Indian Ocean, and cooler and drier conditions in the west. A neutral phase would mean sea temperatures were close to average across the Indian Ocean. There, wasn't that easy. Google, I need you. Well, let's move on from the IOD to something I can understand better, like overfishing. That's number four on our list. With us now is Giorgio from Rome, Italy. It's evening in Rome right now. Good evening, Giorgio. How you doing? Bonjour, Rick. We take too much fish out of the ocean. We're going through something scientists call eutrophication. So that's not really overfishing, it's eutrophication? I'd never heard of that either. What does that mean? First, farmers apply fertilizer to the soil. Then, excess nutrients run off from the field into the water. Next, the fertilizer reaching nitrate and phosphate spark the overgrowth of algae in water bodies. When algae forms, it blocks sunlight from entering water and uses up oxygen. Eventually, water becomes oxygen depleted. Finally, water that is completely depleted of oxygen becomes a dead zone and can no longer support life. There is a delicate balance in this world and humans are ruining it. Well, thanks for the explanation. Google, I still need you. I need you again. Good night, Giorgio. Ciao. Um, I'm learning a lot today. Moving on to our next problem, meat. Humans eat a lot of it. 
Hans from Germany is here to help explain the problem with consuming too much meat. Good evening, Hans. The industrial meat system requires a huge amount of land to sustain itself. Forests in South America are deliberately slashed and burned every year to glaze cattle and grow enough crops to feed billions of farmed animals. When forests are destroyed to produce industrial meat, billions of tons of carbon dioxide are released into the atmosphere, accelerating global warming. Trees in the Amazon rainforest produce their own rainfall, which keeps the whole forest alive and healthy. If deforestation continues at the current rate, the Amazon could reach a tipping point, where it can no longer sustain itself as a rainforest. By clearing forests, destroying habitats and using toxic pesticides to grow animal food, the industrial meat industry is contributing to the extinction of thousands of species, many of which haven't even been discovered yet. Eating plants requires 75% less farmland than we use today. That's because it takes less land to grow food directly for humans, than to feed animals, which humans then eat. This is a serious subject, but I've heard that cow farts and burps release methane. That's a greenhouse gas which has 23 times higher negative impact on the climate than carbon dioxide. Do you have any thoughts on that? Cows are ruminants, meaning that microbes in their multi-chambered stomachs help them digest by fermenting their food. This process produces the powerful greenhouse gas methane, which gets released into the atmosphere when they burp. Their burps are a real problem. And sometimes methane is released when they fart. Farts are funny. Global warming is not. Thanks, Hans. You're being very helpful. But can I just ask one favor? Can you say, where are my detonators for me? Just please, can you just say it? That was Hans Gruber, who was a character in a Bruce Willis movie called Die Hard. Okay, I'll do it. But just once. Where are my detonators? Thanks, Hans. You're a good sport and an even better scientist. Number six on the list is overpopulation. There's no jokes about having too many people on the planet. The population keeps growing, and that requires more of everything. Housing, food, resources, healthcare, transportation. How are we going to handle it all? To help us understand the scope of the problem, I've brought in Amy from Manchester, England. Hello, Amy. What are your thoughts? Studies show that women with access to reproductive health services find it easier to break out of poverty, while those who work are more likely to use birth control. The United Nations Population Fund aims to tackle both issues, running projects to turn young women into advocates for reproductive health. We should promote family planning. Simply educating men and women about contraception can have a big impact. When Iran introduced a national family planning program its fertility rate fell from 5.6 births per woman to 2.6 in a decade. A similar effort in Rwanda saw a threefold increase in contraception usage in just five years. One of the first measures is to implement policies reflecting social change. Educating the masses helps them understand the need to have one or two children at the most. Currently, over 130 million young women and girls around the globe are not enrolled in school. The majority of these live in male-dominated societies, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and South and West Asia, that does not give women equal right to education as men. Imparting sex education to young kids at the elementary level should be a must. Most parents feel shy in discussing such things with their kids that results in their children going out and look out for such information on the internet or discuss it with their peers. Social marketing has already been started by some societies to educate the public on overpopulation effects. The intervention can be made widespread at a low cost. Think about all the different ways kids learn things today that weren't around 20 or 30 years ago. Let's take advantage of technology and teach children to make responsible choices about reproduction. Thank you. I 
guess you've said it all. Thanks. We're moving on to poverty. This might be the hardest problem to solve because there's no one easy answer. I mean, none of our problems are easy, but poverty, boy, that's a tough one. Nicole was with us today from Sydney, Australia, and going to give give it a shot. Nicole, you're on the air. Hi, Rick. There are many things we can do to help solve poverty. I'll give your listeners a few ideas. Develop and implement rapid and sustained economic growth policies and programs. Improve management of water and other natural resources. Invest in and implement agricultural programs. Encourage countries to engage in trade as a path out of poverty. Trade is the key to growth and prosperity. Some of the world's poorest countries including Indonesia, Botswana and Brazil have traded their way out of poverty. Create and improve access to jobs and income and develop entrepreneurial talent. Providing all people with access to basic social services including education, healthcare, adequate food, sanitation, shelter and clean water. Progressively developing social protection systems to support those who cannot support themselves. Empower people living in poverty by involving them in the development and implementation of plans and programs to reduce and eradicate poverty. Remove barriers to equal access to resources and services. Provide access to technology and innovation including internet access and affordable energy. In Bangladesh, only 40% of the rural poor have access to grid electricity. Nicole, I'm not trying to crush your ideas, but if we could solve all those things in the next 5 to 10 years, I'd be shocked. I never said it was going to be easy. Good day, mate. I guess she told me, huh? And lastly, the energy crisis. Still a big problem. Most of our energy comes from coal and natural gas. That causes harmful greenhouse gas emissions. We're not likely to meet our energy demands for all the hundreds of millions of households and people unless we find more sustainable ways to provide energy for everybody. On May 20th, the cargo ship MV Express Pearl, carrying thousands of containers of toxic chemicals, oil, and plastic pellets, caught fire off the coast of Sri Lanka, putting delicate ecosystems, critical fishing environments, and the community that depend on them in further peril. In Sri Lanka, they're calling it the worst marine crisis in the nation's history. An undetermined amount of nitric acid has already leaked from the ship, and several tons of plastic pellets have been collected from nearby beaches. The tiny plastic pellets, or nurdles, are the building blocks of everyday plastic items like bags or food containers. We talked about nurdles back in March of 2020 in episode 3 titled The Great Nurdle Hunt. Nurdles are among the most common forms of microplastic pollution. They can absorb chemicals like nitric acid and are easily consumed by marine life, making their way up the food chain and eventually into human diets. The situation in Sri Lanka is particularly dire because of the number of pellets spilled, coupled with the fact that the spill occurred near critical fishing grounds. More than 50 miles of coastline have been temporarily banned from fishing so far, dealing a major blow to the many fishers who rely on these waters for their livelihood. This horrible tragedy serves as a stark reminder of the terrible risks inherent in our disposable plastic lifestyle. Each year, about 140,000 tons of plastic pellets enter the ocean. To prevent future disasters like this, we must reduce our reliance on production of disposable, single-use plastic. I'm so angry! I don't know what to do! June 22nd was World Rainforest Day. Home to nearly half of the planet's plants and animals, rainforests perform the crucial function of absorbing carbon dioxide and stabilizing the climate pattern. Rainforests are vital for the survival of life on Earth. Unfortunately, tropical rainforests are vanishing fast. 
Here's a few facts about rainforests. Rainforests produce over 40% of the world's oxygen. Rainforests are home to 80% of the world's terrestrial biodiversity. A billion and a half people depend on rainforests for their livelihood. And more than 25% of modern medicines originated from tropical forest plants. Most rainforests have four layers, emergent, canopy, understory, and the forest floor. Each layer is different, and there is a fight for sunlight among the plants. The levels of water, sunlight, and air is different at each layer. The Amazon rainforest in South America is the world's largest rainforest, and I'm guessing 100% of you have heard of it. It is also the forest that has the highest annual area of forest loss. As many as 30 million hectares of primary forest were cleared from 2002 to 2019. Gabon is located on the west coast of Central Africa and became the first African nation to receive a financial reward for protecting its forests as part of international efforts to fight climate change. Gabon has received $17 million for successfully cutting its carbon emissions by reducing deforestation and forest degradation from the UN-backed Central African Forest Initiative. An additional $135 million will come in future years if Gabon can maintain their good standing. Forests cover 90% of Gabon and home to 18% of the Congo Basin Forest, also known as the second lung of the planet after the Amazon. The forests in Gabon absorb a total of 140 million tons of CO2 each year. That's the equivalent of removing 30 million cars from the world. If you want to learn a little bit more, go to worldrainforestday.org. Well, that's clear enough. Birthday celebrations start now. Nara Lee Abram was born in June of 1977. She's a professor at the ANU Research School of Earth Sciences, Australian National University in Canberra, Australia. Her areas of expertise are in climate change and paleoclimatology, including the climate of Antarctica, the Indian Ocean Dipole. Hey, I heard of that. And impacts of the climate on Australia. Abram grew up in Wangi Wangi, New South Wales, Australia. I'm not sure if it's pronounced Wangi Wangi or Wangi Wangi. Either way, it's fun to say. Abram was the 2015 recipient of the Dorothy Hill Award from the Australian Academy of Sciences, which recognizes excellent in earth sciences research by a woman under the age of 40. And in 2019, she was awarded the Priestley Medal. You can find her on Twitter at Climate Narrowly, N-E-R-I-L-I-E. Well, that concludes episode 34. Thanks to Nicole, Amy, Hans, Giorgio, Ravina, Zena, and Zahu for your help today. And of course, to the regular members of the team for their contributions. Until next time, good night, Galileo. Thanks for listening to A Breath of Fresh Earth with your host, Rick Friedman. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you're the first to hear new episodes. If you want to nominate someone for Climate Hero of the Week, send it to Rick at the link below. This has been a breath of fresh earth. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.